and Happy New Year. Good to see you all. Good to be here this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We invite you to stand and worship with us this morning. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. Open the prison doors, he parted the raging seas. My God, he holds a victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely Shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. As He hung upon that cross and He rose up from that grave. My God still rolling souls away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. may be seated. I appreciate Daniel and Alyssa and the girls helping us out. A family, if you're visiting, this is, this is a family up here leading us. and What a blessing it is to have them here and, and leading us today. Uh, Brother David is over at First Baptist Crane and he is witnessing one of his grandboys getting baptized. So what a blessing that is here on January the 1st. And so glad you are here with us. Uh, Brother Jeffrey is going to be preaching today, our youth pastor. Looking forward to hearing him preach and sitting under the word, and what a huge blessing that is. Uh, we are just inside of the door, literally, uh, of a new year, the way that we look at time. And so um, 
just being on a trip and going away and doing a wedding in Asheville and riding with my dear spouse for hours in the middle of snowstorms and praying and thinking, whereas you got a dusting here on Sunday night into Monday, we got dumped on. And so I wake up getting ready to drive off in a little tin can Buick car in three or four inches of snow, and it was kind of scary, but we made it. But what a great time to reflect and think about the past year and what God is going to do in the future. And I have to tell you, I'm excited about what God is going to do in our church in the coming year. The Bible says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. The word adorn is cosmeo, which you ladies will know, that's cosmetics, right? But the primary meaning here is not the attractive nature of us propping up the gospel to make it attractive, that such as we could add anything to it, which we can't, but it's really to arrange and order our lives in such a way that we faithfully and accurately portray what the gospel of Christ is. So that's my, that's God's call on my life individually. It's God's call upon your life to adorn the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't help but think of the song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. But I'll be better just according to his plan, for we're fashioned by the master's loving hand. Well, there really ought to be a sign upon our hearts, right? Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. We all know that God is fashioning us into what he would have us to be. So would you submit to this verse in the coming year with your pastor? On January 1st, God, help my priorities. Help me operate, arrange, order my priorities so that we adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. That's not the only thing, okay? We have a corporate body. And for six and a half years, I've been here as your pastor and some decisions needed to be made. And I feel like I'm finally at a place, and our church is, where we can move forward in elders and deacons. So this is going to happen within the next month or two, and we're in the preparatory stage of, uh, if some of you are new, you'll realize that for the time I've been here and 25 years prior, the deacon ministry was not like it, it was non-existent for the most part. You had deacons serving, but not as vocational offices. So that's going to change. And, and then elder-led, we're working toward that. You've already given us the go-ahead for that on a Sunday night back months and months ago. So in other words, as we adorn the gospel, church polity has something to do with that. We want to be a healthy church, amen? Not just healthy individually, but healthy as a corporate body. So let's pray that our church will corporately adorn the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? That's my challenge to you this morning. I have to preach a little bit. I have to bootleg preach individually. Adorn the gospel of Christ, and secondly, with our church corporately. Let's make sure that we're doing all we can to be a healthy church. God help us to be a healthy church. So, uh, Brother Jeffrey's going to come in a few moments to preach the word, and I pray that you'll ask God to open your eyes to hear, uh, to see and hear your hearts, to understand the word and apply it to your life. And uh, let's uh, have a word of prayer. If you're visiting with us, you're an honored guest. I know we have Dr. Harrison with us today and his son Josh worshiping with us. I don't know where he's seated, but oh, there, there we are. Glad he is here with us. And uh, if you're visiting or maybe your first or second time visitor, would you please fill out that connection card in front of you? Drop it in the offering plate. We'd love to have a record of your visit. And we'll also be faithful to pray for you during our staff meetings. Okay, let's pray. Great God, you're good to us. We... Understand, Father, that every day is a blessing from you. We're reminded in Scripture to number our days. Each day is significant. Lord, uh, as we measure time, we realize that we are now in 2023. Lord, help us to honor you with our lives, to accurately, Lord, portray the saving power of the gospel of Christ. Lord, no way possible we can come in contact with you and be gloriously saved and it not make a difference. Lord, help us to live out uh, transforming grace. All of us have a testimony of where we were, 
what you've done through the gospel of Christ in us, taking us from a place of death to a place of life. And Lord, uh, our stories are not complete if we're alive on the face of the earth. Uh, Father, we know that glorification is in the future where we will see you face to face. But there's an in-between time of sanctification. And Lord God, we need you to conform us to your image. Help us, Lord God, to be all that you would have us to be. Lord, confront us with your word. Undermine our complacency. Overthrow our conduct and behavior that is contrary to thus saith the Lord. God, help us be the church you would have us to be. Help me be the pastor that you intended me to be. Help us to be elders after the order of Christ, shepherds of this congregation. Lord, again, we praise you for a new year. We thank you uh, looking in the rearview mirror of what took place in 2022, but looking forward and pressing toward the mark of the high calling of the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, it's usually this time of year where we're making goals, setting goals, looking back at maybe the goals we didn't uh, complete last year, but also a time of reflection. And uh, these next two songs we're going to sing, we're just going to reflect upon the great things that God has done and, and how his goodness is, is just faithful. We can see it uh, and we can trust in that.
conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance the freedom, awaken the light. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. You have done great things. Oh God, you do great been so good and so faithful. He's been so good to us. He's blessed us. Um, and right now we're just going to pray over our time of offering and just thank him for the blessings he's brought to us. Father, we do um, profess your goodness and through, through times of, of, of joy and through times of sorrow, God, we can still look 
to you and claim and proclaim that you are good and your faithfulness endures all things. God, we thank you for the blessings you've given us. We pray that you would bless um, the tithes and offerings that we uh, give back to you in this moment. Um, we pray a blessing over that. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? He won't, he won't, I've still got joy in chaos, I've got peace that makes no sense. I won't be going under I'm not held by my own strength Cause I built my life on Jesus He's never let me down He's faithful in every season So I would Oh, 
Good morning and Happy New Year. It is a privilege to be here and standing in this pulpit uh, proclaiming God's word to you this morning. Um, I'm always reminded of um, what Spurgeon's grandfather said when Spurgeon came to fill in the pulpit at his little country church. Charles, uh, Charles Spurgeon's grandfather said, uh, I'm going to introduce my grandson to you. His name is Charles. Now, he'll be able to preach the gospel better than me, but he'll never be able to preach a better gospel. And so I know I won't probably preach the gospel as good as pastor, but I can't preach however that would go and finish. Sorry, that, that just happened and on the internet too. Yes. I'll, so this morning, if you have your Bibles, per, please turn to, man, that was embarrassing. Please turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. We're going to be talking about living in victory, living in victory. In Romans chapter 8, in the verses that we're going to read in 31 through 39, uh, Paul is coming to a conclusion at a part of his letter to the church at Rome. He's written about the wonderful glories of the gospel and forgiveness and justification through faith alone. He's talked about being filled with the Spirit. But he's also talked about the realities and the difficulties of this world. Once you become a Christian, it doesn't become all easy and Paul has been working through and trying to work through the, the two realities. The one, that living as a child of God in this world can be very difficult and defeating. But here he makes the conclusion that because God loves us, we can live victoriously over the difficulties of this world. Now, it might not come as a surprise to you, but yours truly does not run. In fact, I've got a medical, medical condition that prevents me from running. I'm allergic to it. No, I'm serious. As soon as I start running, my breathing becomes labored. My muscles begin to tighten. And if I run long enough, I get a cramp right here. I start sweating. All of these symptoms lead to the point that I'm allergic to running. How many of you also are allergic to running this morning? Yes, okay. All joking aside... Even though I do not run, I do know a little bit about running. I know that it is hard and tiring and painful. It takes effort and mental fortitude to run any distance. And I know that running becomes more difficult the longer the distance is that you run and the more distance that you cover. And the more difficult the run is, the longer you go, the easier it is to give up and quit and lay down and just stop. So I do also know that when people run for long distances, as crazy as they may be, when they compete in long distance running, there are checkpoints along the way. And these designated areas have folks who will offer drinks and first aid and any other need that a runner might have in order to encourage the runner to continue on and not to give up, to give them nutrition and nourishment to continue on. This morning, today, I see myself as one of these roadside assistants. As I look out among the congregation here today, I see people who have been running the Christian race. You've been running and you're tired. You're running and you're wanting to give up, maybe. You've been running and you're going through difficulties and troubles. And this morning, I want to hand you some spiritual water. I want to hand you life-giving soul-refreshing gospel drink so that you may be encouraged and strengthened to continue on and not suffer defeat as you follow the Lord. So let us turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 31, and let's read God's word together. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And may he write the eternal truths of his word upon the tables of our heart. There are two truths from this passage I want to address this morning. And the first one deals with this, the difficulties that we as Christians face in the world. The first thing we see is that the world that we live in is difficult. You might be listening to the radio or watching the TV and come across men and women who try to tell you that because you have been cut, become a child of God and because you're in the kingdom, that life should be easy and that you shouldn't suffer and that you shouldn't experience certain things. If you hear those people and you hear that message, turn it off because the message smells of smoke. It is a lie. Paul in no way hides the fact that we will face difficult times and difficult things in our lives as God's children. Listen to what he says. He tells us that we have enemies, and he tells us this by asking some rhetorical questions. Three different times he'll ask the question, who? Who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Brothers and sisters, we have enemies. And one type of enemy will bring opposition. Paul then goes on in verse 33, and he asks the question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? We're going to have enemies who bring accusations against us. And as the world and our culture becomes more secular, secularized, and as we stand up for biblical truth, more and more people are going to bring accusations against us for all sorts of things. We have enemies, Paul says, that will bring condemnation. Verse number 34, he asks the rhetorical question, who is there to condemn? He's not asking these rhetorical questions, ignoring the fact that there's, there, there, there's, not, there's people out there. He's telling us there are people out there who are our enemies who do these things. But what we must remember is this. Though we have and we will face physical enemies who will bring opposition, accusation, and condemnation, as we will see in a couple of weeks, maybe, in Ephesians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We have a spiritual enemy, and I want to be here this morning, and I want to remind you and warn you, make you aware that you have a target on your back as a child of God. We are told that we have an, an enemy, and his name is Satan. And he's greater than any physical enemy that we can face. Our physical enemies can be redeemed by the gospel and the working of the Holy Spirit. And so we always want to offer those to our enemies. But Satan cannot. And we're told in God's word that he is an enemy, of a, he's an accuser. In Revelation chapter 10, we're told that Satan is the accuser who stands before God, bringing accusations against God's people. In John chapter 10, Jesus identifies Satan as a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter tells us that our spiritual enemy, Satan, is like a lion. Lions are cool when they're behind the cage. But when you're in the grasslands with them, they're behind those bushes and they're waiting to pounce on you. And he tells us that Satan is, an, is, is a lion seeking whom he may devour. Brothers and sisters, our life as Christians is difficult because we have enemies. And there's an enemy who wants to destroy our lives. He can't steal our souls for eternal damnation because we've been saved, but he wants to destroy us. But our lives aren't difficult just because we have enemies. Our lives are also difficult because we live in a fallen world, and we will have troubles, trials, and tribulations. In verse number 35 of our text, we read this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You would expect another enemy. You'd expect, an, expect another person. 
But listen to, the, listen to the chain. He goes from, he asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? All of these things are things that the early Christians and the apostle Paul have felt. And people today, and Christians around the world still feel today. We, we have troubles, trials, and tribulations. Jesus, in John chapter 16, verse 33 looks at his disciples and says, in this world, you will have troubles. How many of you can say amen to that? That's the world we live in. It's a reality that we cannot to ignore, and to try to ignore it is not being honest. And it can be very hurtful and living with your head in the ground. But Paul doesn't leave it there in this dismal understanding and the reality of difficulties. All throughout the passage, as he's relating and telling us about the difficulties of this world, he's telling us, but God has saved us to live in victory over these difficulties. As you're running through the Christian life and you're going through these difficulties, whatever they may be, God has saved you to live victoriously over them. Not to give up, not to sit down and pass out and and just say, I'm done and give up and walk away. You see, victorious living is possible. In verse number 37, Paul says, No, in all of these things, we are what? More than conquerors through him who saved us or who loved us. We are more than conquerors. I grew up in in, in an interesting household. It wasn't great. There was a lot of troubles, trials, and tribulations. There was a lot of sin and temptation in my early life and development. And there was a point in my life where, where I was defeated. Sin had taken hold. Hatred had taken hold. And one day, I heard a preacher talk about victorious living through the power of the gospel. And he said it wasn't just a hot pie-in-the-sky dream, but it was a reality. Living in victory is a reality. We are more than conquerors through him. So victorious living is possible. If you're here today and you're going through some troubles, trials, and tribulations, if you feel like the enemy has attacked you and you're underneath the paw of his, of his roaring and his attack, victorious living is possible. How is it possible? Well, it's not possible through you or, for me, or through me. It's not possible in our own strength. It's not possible by going to the store and finding the self-help book section and finding a 12-step program, or finding principles to live by. Paul, here in Romans chapter 8, as he's concluding, he's telling the people victorious living is possible because of gospel truths. Now, what is a gospel truth? Put simply, it's a biblical truth that relates directly to our salvation. And Paul here, text takes us over and over and over again to good news to gospel truths in order to have victory over these things. I appreciate the words of C.J. Mahaney in his book, The Cross-Centered Life. He used, um, he, he used a house to describe the Christian life, and he said some people will come to the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, God's love for us, and all of those wonderful things, and they say that's just the front door to the Christian faith. When you, get, when you become a Christian, you, you, you believe in Christ's death, you, you open the door, you walk in, and now you're into Christian, the Christian house. And you can go wherever you want to go, and, but the, the gospel kind of stays there as the front entry. I've actually heard pastors say that we need to leave the gospel behind and go into the deeper things of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to the deeper things of God. But I'm here to tell you this. The gospel is not the front door that you enter through and leave behind. It is the foundation that every aspect of your Christian life is built upon. You can't go into your prayer life without understanding that God loves you and he's your father and he wants to hear from you. You can't go into your salvation. You can't go into to, to God's holiness without being crushed by how wonderfully awesome he is without understanding I'm saved and I'm his. You can't go anywhere in the Christian life without gospel truth, without the gospel foundation. And this morning I want to walk through this passage and see how victory is possible amongst all the difficulties that we face through the gospel truths that Paul brings out. 
So here's gospel truth number one of living victoriously. Victorious living is possible because God is for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Do you all remember being on the playground and picking teams? And there was always that one kid who played that one sport and you wanted them to be on your team? You didn't want to have to guard them? You know that they would score more points? You wanted them to be for you, not against you. This morning, God wants you to know that he is for you. If he is your child, he is for you, not against you. He is on your team. He is on your side. He is your father. He is for us. And if God be for us, who in the world can be against us? Whether it be uh, countries or, 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 or parties or family or, or whatever, friends, God is for us. Who can be against us? Some of you have forgotten that God is for you. You look at the situations in your life and you say, God must be against me. But no, God's word and God tells you this morning that he is for you. How do you know he is for you? Well, just look up at verse number 30. Well, look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. All of those are things to demonstrate that God is for you, brothers and sisters. All of those are wonderful gospel truths to prove the fact that God is for you. Number two, victorious living is not just possible because God is for us. Victorious living is possible because God, it is God who justifies us. Now, as Protestants, we love justification by faith. And we want to know what justification is, and we love to know about it. But Paul here, when he's talking to the children, when he's talking to the church at Rome, he doesn't go into what justification is necessarily. He wants to remind them of who it is that has justified them. It is God who justifies. Who is there to bring any charge against God's elect? It's, it's God Almighty, the God who spoke the worlds into existence, the God who created the, the heavens and the earth, the God who, who, who chose um, a, a line through Israel and Abraham, the God who did all these wonderful things that we read about in his Bible, in his word. That God, that God has justified us. And so when people bring accusations and condemnations against us, we have to remember that it is God who has justified us. The God of the universe has looked at you through Jesus Christ and said, you are righteous, not guilty. Some of you have been listening to the, your guilty part so long, you're defeated, and you don't think you can get up out of the hole that you've dug yourself. But if you're a child of God, listen here today. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is God who justifies. There's no higher court of appeal in the universe to come and accuse you and bring accusations against you. The supreme court of heaven has declared you righteous, God Almighty. That's good news. Victorious living is also possible because of the gospel story. I love to tell the story. Right? The the gospel story, if you look at verse number 34, who is there to condemn? It is Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And Paul just walks through real quickly the gospel story. It is Christ who died. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And on that old cross, the dearest and best, for a world of lost sinners was slain. But he didn't just die. He rose again. He didn't just die for us. He was raised for us. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living all, um, just because he lives. But Paul doesn't stop at the resurrection here about in the gospel story. He goes on to tell us what Christ continues to do after the resurrection. And I, this is where I, this is just, in, in, I've preached this sermon several times, sorry. Um, you, I mean, I'm not sorry about it, but you're getting, you're getting the third rendition of this. 
But every time that this point that Jesus is praying for us, he is at the right hand of God interceding. Maybe you've had someone pray for you in your life. Maybe someone in the church, maybe an older lady, grandmother, grandfather figure, and you know they're praying for you. And you're so, you're so thankful that they're praying because you know that God just listens to their prayer a little bit more than yours, right? You have the best person praying for you. It's Jesus. Victorious living is possible because Jesus didn't just raise from the dead and just kind of like let things go. He has a job and he's doing it and he's pleading for you and for me. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. The great high priest whose name is love, whoever pleads for me. Victorious living is possible through divine power. Victorious living is possible through divine power. We are more than conquerors, not through ourselves, but through him who loved us. So many times we want to win the battle and um, walk and strive and run the race on our own power. But it is through God, it is through the Father, it is through divine power that we win and we overcome this world. When David looked at Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he looked at him and said, You come to me with sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And this day the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand. Yes, David had to work. Yes, David had to fight. But he came not in his own power, but in the power of his God, the God of Israel, the God of hosts. Our Father, your Father. And so victorious living is possible because, of, um, because uh, it is through divine power, not our own. Lastly, uh, victorious living is possible because of divine love. Divine love. We have two sources of divine love we find in this passage. The first one is, um, well, the first one I'm going to mention is God's love for us. We're told in verse 37 that uh, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then when you read down in verse 39, at the very end, nothing else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why is God for us? Why does God save us? Why Why are all of these gospel truths possible? It's because God loves us. For God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. God is a God who loves and he puts his money where his mouth is and he loves us and he sent his son to die on the cross to demonstrate that love. You might be here this morning and you're being defeated. You're running out of juice in your spiritual walk with the Lord because you've forgotten that God loves you. He loves you. For God so loved the world. But it's not just God the Father who loves us. We're also told in this passage that it's God the Son who loves us. In verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The love of Christ. This is powerful. Jesus loves you. Now, I know that we don't have children's church today. How many children do we have in the audience today? Raise your hand. Just raise your hand. If you were, can you stand, please? I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do, this is the first time I've done this. All right, we're going to, I need you to help me. So when you're, oh, oh, I need you to help me. This is a wonderful truth. You're going to help me preach the sermon. Do you all know the song, Jesus Loves Me? All right, ready? We're going to sing it together. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Great job, good job. I know that it's hard sitting through service and things, so thank you for participating. But what you just sang, guys... What they just sang, church, is a marvelous gospel truth that gives us victory. Christ loved you. Husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church. If you're not feeling loved this morning, I want you to know that God loves you and that Christ loves you. Christ loves you. These, all of these truths 
are the fuel for victorious living, brothers and sisters. When, if, when times get difficult, when the enemy presses hard, when your flesh seems to be choking out the spirit inside of you, rehearse these truths. Go back through them. Seek out other gospel truths in Scripture to fight back and resist the defeat that your enemy wants you to experience. If you lose sight of the glorious gospel, you will be defeated. You will sink. You will fall prey. You'll be like Peter on the Sea of Galilee, walking out on the water, going to Jesus. Then all of a sudden, the storms of this life will start taking your eyes and taking your attention away from him, and you'll sink. Today, I want you to lift up your eyes and focus them on the eternal horizon of the gospel. Love the gospel, know the gospel, preach the gospel to yourself continually, and don't let the enemy take your focus off what is foundational to your life. Do not let him sever the cord between you and your lifeline, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to finish with a question. I use the word finish very loosely. What does victorious living look like? You might be here and you might say, I, I understand we, we, we have all these things and victorious living is a possibility. What does it look like? A victorious life is a believing life. And what we see in this passage here and what I believe Paul is encouraging the, the Christians at Rome to do is to put their faith in God, to put their faith in what he has done for them in the gospel message. Victorious life is a believing life. It's believing God's truth over the enemy's lies. When Satan says, I'm big, I'm bad, you're going to bow your knee to me, we look at him and say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. When Satan starts telling you that God doesn't love you and God is not for you, you go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 37, or verses 31 through 39, and you start rehearsing those gospel truths. When Satan starts telling you that you're too good and you don't need God, that's defeat, isn't it? Pride. You say, oh, but God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. A victorious life is a believing life, believing God's truth over the enemy's lies. But it's also trusting God's inseparable love for us during our trials, troubles, and tribulations. When difficulties come and they seemingly hide the goodness of God, victorious living believes that all things work together for our good as we are called to his purposes. When difficulties wear us down, we don't think that we can, uh, we don't think we can make it. We cast our cares on God. Why? Because he cares for us. When times get rough and hard, when loved ones get sick, when children run away and leave the faith, when, when, when whatever happens, happens, whatever difficulty you come across, those can seem to hide God's goodness. Victorious living believes in God's goodness and love through those difficult times. And then lastly, it's, this isn't part of the text, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Victorious living is believing that God can forgive you and restore you when you fall. Because if you feel like me, you might feel like as you try to run the Christian race, you feel inadequate. You fall, you stumble, you smack your knees, you, you land on your nose, and you feel like you've been defeated. And you may, many times you want to feel like you want to give up. But victorious, victorious living believes that God is not through with us just because we fall. He's not done with us when we get off course. John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is also John that records the restoration of Peter. After Peter denies him and denies the Lord three times, Jesus comes to him and restores him. I'm thankful for men like Peter. I don't know about you, but I mess up all the time. And Peter reminds me that God is faithful. And when I mess up, when I fail, when I sin, I know that God is willing to forgive me if I go humbly to him and confess those things to him. And so can you. So victorious living isn't perfect living. Sometimes it's not even pretty living. It's faithful living. 
It's a life that believes God's word. It believes the gospel. And it is all possible because God loves us. This morning, I want you to know and to be just as convinced as Paul was in verse 37. That because God loves you, you can live victoriously over the difficulties of this world. And at this time, what we're going to do is we're going to sing and we're going to have a time of response. So Daniel and um, family and friends, if you would come forward, we're going to have a time of invitation. As we start 2023, maybe you're running through life and you just, you need to pause. Things are hard and you just need to pray to God to ask you for help. Maybe you need to ask him for forgiveness for sins that you're caught up in. Maybe you're going through difficulties and you just need prayer and you need to go to him. This morning, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Maybe you're struggling through something and you just need prayer. This is the time to do that. You can come forward to the altar and pray here. You can stay at your seats. But we're just going to give a time of invitation. Maybe you're here today and you don't know what it's like to be a child of God. You say, man, that sounds wonderful, all of those promises, but, but they're not for me. I, I'm not a child of God. I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. Well, good for you. Today is the day of salvation, and you can come to Christ and accept the invitation to come to him. So we're going to stand together, and as you feel led and you want to come and pray and, and come and answer this invitation, I'll be down here. You can come and talk to me if you want to, but we're just going to sing a couple verses of invitation. Thank you guys all for being here this today. I hope that I have been that checkpoint. Hope that God's word has been a checkpoint to help you and encourage you to continue on in faithful living for Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with this blessing. May the Lord keep you and may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And I ask blessings upon you today as you leave. God bless you. You're dismissed. Happy New Year. Don't oh, don't, oh, never. Sorry. We can have victory over that. Amen. Um, just want to praise the Lord that David and Savannah are okay. Uh, most of y'all have heard that uh, building down in Ozark, um, and Merritt and Chloe live in one of them too, so we were getting calls, your kid's okay, and then we find out Jason and Jan's 
children were in that one. Well, that's where they stay, right? But by the providence of God, they were over in Mississippi. And so, praise the Lord, they're okay. I think there were a few other people inside of that coffee shop, but they were not injured. And it's just the providence of God taking care of them. So we praise God for that. Second, Miss Glenda uh, Nichols has gone through a bout with cancer, and she's going to go down to MD Anderson for a second opinion. Is that right, Mr. Smith? Would you all pray for her? Uh, she's one of ours, church family, and they desperately need our prayers, and we need to covenant together to pray for them. Amen. All right. God is good. Uh, if your kid, if you have a young person and they're not attending youth meetings, they need to be. Uh, I appreciate, Brother Jeffrey, that he preaches the truth. He lives the truth. Preaching is truth mediated through personality, and he believes what he's saying. Amen. Uh, we know that he knows the truth of the word of God, teaches it. Please get plugged in. Have your children under the word. Amen. All right. God bless you. Yes. I, I actually remember that one, Don. Thank you, Don. We have no services tonight, okay? But we will be back on our regular schedule starting next Sunday. And believe it or not, we're going to be back in Ephesians. All right? Hope you're ready for it. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed.